If you have Bibles, would you please go ahead and uh, open them up to uh, Mark? I'm going to go to Mark this morning in chapter 10, and uh, I'm going to try to uh, get this uh, to you as quickly as I can. Uh, on the way here this morning, uh hate to complain, but uh, I was pulled over by a policeman who said I ran a stop sign. Yeah, and I said, I didn't run it. I, I slowed down. He says, no, 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 no. He says, that's not the same thing. I said, yes, it is. I, I went real slow. He said, that's not the same thing. And we argued back and forth for a while until finally he took out his billy club. He started hitting me on the head. And he said, now, do you want me to stop or to slow down? And I said, <laughs> not a true story, okay? Uh, just Just to be clear about that. But uh, if you would, I'm looking at uh, Mark chapter 10, just seven short verses, verse 46 through 52, the story, the familiar story to some of you of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. The interesting thing about uh, Bartimaeus here is his initials are BBB, and uh, in this story his uh, name changes, but his initials stay the same. I have to say, I'm not used to it. I've been using uh, the lapel of that for so long, I'm not used to this, but uh, that's fine. But uh, BBB, Blind Brother Bartimaeus, the neat thing about this story is at the end of these seven verses, his name changes, but not his initials. His name changes to Blessed Brother Bartimaeus, and that's what we want to see, how that comes about. So here's seven short verses. begins in verse 46 in Mark 10. He says, Now they came to Jericho. And I must tell you uh, something about Jericho as we're moving into this. In Jericho, uh, it's a little town about 16 miles northwest of, uh, or northeast, I'm sorry, of Jerusalem. And uh, according to the historian Josephus of that time, he tells us that there were no less than 12,000 priests and Levites living in Jericho. 12,000 men of God with their wives and their families and their guppies and their goldfish and their cats and their dogs. There was 12,000 men of God living in Jericho. They probably had something called the Leviticus condominiums there. But uh, they would travel up to Jerusalem to do duty at the uh, temple there all the time. And when they were off duty, they lived in Jericho. So 12,000 men of God. And so here in Jericho... Jesus is going through Jericho for one reason today, and that is to go out of Jericho. Because it says, now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Bartimaeus, you ask, well, how poor was he? He was so poor, he didn't even have a name. Bartimaeus simply means the son of of Timaeus. People say, who is that guy? He's begging there. He begs every day. He said, we don't know. He ain't got a name. He's just Timaeus' son. Just throw him a denarii. He'll, he'll shut up. He won't bother you. He can't bust a grape. He don't bother nobody. Just throw him something. And so he would sit there every day begging. And so here's, uh, look at this picture. Here's 12,000 men of God inside the gates of Jericho and outside there are beggars and people in need, just outside the door of the city. 12,000 
of the church's finest. Amen? And people outside the doors who need help and are not getting it. I think of the London Transit Authority about 20-some years ago. True story. It seems that the buses there in England were passing bus stops and not picking up people. And they were doing it so often that there was a huge public outcry. And finally, there was such an outcry that the CEO or the owner of the bus uh, lines had to come out with a press release. And here's what he said in the press release. He said, we cannot keep to our schedule if we are continually having to stop and pick up passengers. Ah! What is their purpose? What is their mission? What keeps them alive? What pays their bills? What are they all about? What will happen if they continue in that mode not to pick up passengers? They'll die. So here's 12,000 men of God just inside the city gates, just inside the church, and there's blind beggars outside the door wondering what in the world they're going to do. Well, what will happen to the church today if we stop picking up passengers? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Ministries like ours and the Rescue Mission and others are trying to make a difference in that, and it's a bit overwhelming at times. I can tell you, you know about Muskegon Heights, and you've read the papers, and you've seen the last few years what's going on there. This summer, we thought we got a little reprieve because things had stopped, and we went to some meetings with the state police and, and others uh, around Muskegon Heights that cared about what was going on, and, and the police even told us at that meeting that uh, not to think things were so great because summer wasn't over yet, and the very next week, we started getting shootings again. There are young boys shooting young boys, high schoolers shooting each other. We could go into all of the reasons why, but it comes down to a fatherless society. It comes down to a society that doesn't have Jesus Christ, and that is a fatherless society, and I'm not going to go into all that today. But blind Bartimaeus was sitting out there begging, and I remember another beggar about 2,000 years later down the line, and that was me, living in the streets of Detroit. I grew up in and around Detroit, and I gravitated to the city, a place called the Cass Corridor. And for 20-some years, I was addicted to heroin. And I lived homeless many times in the streets of Detroit. And what I did many times was sell flowers so that I could get my drugs. And sometimes I worked for the Greek brothers that had the booths down by Tiger Stadium and all around downtown. And sometimes I just uh, worked for myself which meant I went into the dumpsters of all the flower shops around downtown Detroit, and there are many. And I would uh, find flowers. And they would throw out flowers if the outside rim of the packages were brown many times. But sometimes if you take them apart, you find the inside, you find some good ones. And I would make bouquets. And I'd walk around all downtown all day long selling flowers. And I'd get $3 or $5 or $10. And I made most of my money going to the lawyer's office, to the uh, beauty salons and to the bars uh, or just off the street from tourists, whatever I could get. And I would sell flowers all day long. And that's how I got my money and uh, uh, among other things. But I remember one day I found so many flowers 
And my father, I, I got to tell you, my father who's passed now a couple years ago, him and my mom came to the Lord after I had left home and began to pray for me. My dad used to come downtown looking for me periodically, and he'd find me every three or four months, buy me a meal, wouldn't give me any money. He was smarter than that, Pastor Pale. <laughs> and uh, he would tell me, it's time to leave. It's time to get out of here. It's time to go. You need to do something different. I'd tell him, I, I don't know what to do. I, I said, no, I can't do it. And he would give me pieces of paper that he had written out scripture on that had spoken to him during the time he didn't see me. And I'd just take those and stick them in pockets everywhere. When you live in the street, you wear a lot of different pockets because you go to the Sally, you go to uh, cops, you go to other places, and they're always giving you the rescue mission probably. And they'll give you uh, coats and sweaters and pants and different things like that. So you have lots of pockets. And when I used to sell flowers in the streets, I used to stick that money in all those different pockets and in my sock because I'd get knocked off on my way to the dope house many times and robbed. But if I had all those different pockets, sometimes I'd still have some money left. Yeah, amen. So my dad would give me all those pieces of scripture, and I'd stick them in all those pockets. And I remember one night going to the dope house, and every pocket I reached in for money, nothing but scripture came out. And I think of uh, the scripture that says, God's word does not return to him void, but it accomplishes that for which he sent. Amen? In Isaiah 55. And then when I think of my father, I think of Isaiah 52 and 7 that says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. My father never stopped bringing the good news. And I remember one day I found so many roses in the back of a dumpster. It was just unreal. Something like 800 roses. And I had a one-room walk-up uh, here uh, on Henry and Cass. Uh, a tenement building had about 100 apartments. And it was October. And uh, I had found all these flowers. And out of that, I made about 400 good ones. So I was selling them all day long, just selling flowers, getting dope, selling flowers, getting dope. And uh, it's, like a, it's like a puppy. If you keep putting food in front of him, he'll eat it until he falls over or passes out. Well, that's the way junkies are. They just keep doing it until they die. And so I was just doing it all day long. And I was sitting in my uh, apartment. I had a Murphy bed and a, a toilet so uh, close to the, you could, your knees would touch the radiator sitting uh, in the uh, bathroom. It was so small. But I remember doing my dope. And uh, excuse the graphicness of this. But uh, the only place by now I could get a hit, could get a vein in my body, was with an inch and a half spike on the end of the needle, and I would have to go deep into my groin or deep into my throat on either side. That's the only place I could get a hit in my veins. They were so burnt out. And I had done so much dope that day, and I was sitting on the toilet, and I had hit myself in the groin with the dope and passed out. The next thing I remember, I woke up, and there was blood everywhere, all over my shoulder, uh, there was a big hole in my shoulder. Actually, it turned out to be two holes in my shoulder. And I looked around. It was late October. It was the first day of the year that the landlady, who was very stingy, turned on the heat. My radiator kicked in. I passed out against it, and it burned me back to life. Amen. God wasn't through with me just yet. Amen. But I was a stupid street-level junkie who didn't know any better. But one day... I was in a dumpster looking for stuff, and I couldn't find anything. It was just a bad night, and I was sick. And I heard a voice say, hey, it's time to get out of there. It's time to go, and like my dad would say. And I, I looked up because many times the police would 
arrest me in the dumpsters and put me in jail for 10 days uh, in the 13th precinct. Interesting note, one of the guys who used to lock me up there on Woodward and Hancock turned out to be the police chief from Muskegon Heights years later when I came to the Heights. <laughs> so we had some good talks. Amen? Then rather than locking me up, we were going on prayer walks together. Excuse me. But anyway, I heard the voice, and I looked up. There was nobody there. I remember the next morning, my father did find me, and he said those exact words. And I said, I don't care where you take me. Do anything you want with me. Took me to a place called Teen Challenge. <laughs> and I went through Teen Challenge, and the fact of the matter is, I had a common-law wife of 10 years, and I had spent three years in Jackson Penitentiary, and uh, I was facing more prison time. And I had actually just identified her body dead of a heroin overdose in the city morgue. And I was facing more time, and when my dad found me that morning and said those words, I said, take me wherever you want, I don't care. I didn't care whether I lived or died. And he took me to Teen Challenge. And after I was there a week in Teen Challenge, I said, please take me to prison. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. I said, this is a cult. I know it is. Uh, you know, they're raising their hands, and these uh, street-level guys I know are in here acting like they love people, and something's wrong, you know. But uh, through it all, through that year in Detroit, and a little more, actually, I did come to know the Lord. Then I ended up coming out to Teen Challenge here in West Michigan Teen Challenge and working for them for nearly five years. And during that time, uh, we used to minister a lot in the Muskegon Heights and in the projects. And my heart got stolen by Muskegon Heights, a little three-square-mile area, three-and-a-half square miles of city. And you know about the Heights. I don't have to tell you much. The school system all but collapsed about five years ago. Uh, all the storefronts downtown, many of them are boarded up, have been for a long time. So much graft in City Hall over the years that all the people that were into it are gone now, and the people that are still there are trying to put it back together. Uh, just all these different things and the shootings and all of that can be a little overwhelming. But I met my wife here uh, at Central Assembly, as a matter of fact, and uh, I wanted to meet her. And I was going through the Berean School of the Bible at the time and uh, working for Teen Challenge. And... Uh, she would be down front at Central Assembly, Pastor Pale, just praising God with all of her heart, blue jeans, pigtails. And I thought, Lord, I'd like to meet her. And the Lord said, no. <laughs> what? He said, you finish your Bible studies and pray for her welfare, and that's it. So I did for a year. I was finished with the Bible studies, and one Wednesday night, somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, there's somebody I want you to meet. And it was my wife-to-be. Amen. We dated for a couple of years and then got married and decided we wanted to open something in the Heights. So we did. Thank God my wife worked. She still does. Uh, works as a graphics artist over by the airport. And uh, that sustained us and has sustained us quite a bit over the years when there was no money. And uh, we moved into a little storefront downtown Muskegon Heights that we still have. We still feed about 500 families out of our storefront. 
our church is across the street, and our thrift store is up the street in the old Potter's Lamps building. So we've kind of surrounded City Hall now. <laughs> and uh, we still do prayer walks and uh, work with people. And as I said, we feed about 500 families a month. We work a lot with kids and mentoring situations. And uh, when we first got in the building, uh, 5,000 square feet, the, the floor was wooden, full of termites. We had to rip it all out. Uh, there was no electricity, it had been gutted, there was no plumbing, it had been gutted. We had to dig out in the street just to get water. We set up electricity, and I remember I finally I had a one desk and a chair and a dirt floor and a light bulb over my head, <laughs> and I just got the phones installed, and I thought, I have arrived. <laughs> and I had my feet up on the desk, and I, I just really felt like, I have arrived, Lord. And uh, the phone rang, and I almost fell out of my chair. I said, who in the world's calling me, you know? And so I answered the phone. It was my wife. And uh, she's at work, and she said, have you heard the news? And I said, uh, no, what news? She said, oh, it's all over the paper. It's in the Chronicle. I said, what news? She said, oh, we're all talking about it. It's so exciting. I said, what news? She said, it's in the headlines. It says in the Chronicle, the road to hell will be closed this summer. I said, wow, that's fantastic. What are you talking about? And she says, yeah, it says the road to hell, Michigan, will be closed because the bridge is out. And I said, you know what? That needs to be our ministry. We're going to close the road to hell from Muskegon Heights. Amen? And so that's been our uh, endeavor ever since is to close the road to hell from where we're at. So today, as I said, we're able to feed uh, families and uh uh, we've had a men's discipleship house for a number of years. Uh, right now, I just have two guys in it. We've had as many as eight. Uh, but over the years, I think we've taken in about 100 guys, many of them Teen Challenge graduates that uh, come and stay with us as they're getting on their feet and that kind of thing. And uh, our whole philosophy of ministry uh, all really hinges on volunteers. Uh, we're a small group, always have been. Uh, probably only 80 people or so that name our church as their church. But uh, with the feeding programs and the kids' programs and that, it all comes through volunteers. It all comes from other churches. It all comes just like our funding. 70% of our funding all comes from outside, from me speaking, from uh, putting out a newsletter, and uh, just uh, speaking at places like this. And it all comes from that. So all that we do hinges on volunteers. People coming and uh, volunteering at our outreaches, at our Thanksgiving outreaches, our Christmas outreaches. We usually have three or 400 kids show up for Christmas, and we give them all Christmas presents and a pizza party and the Christmas show. Uh, Thanksgiving, same thing, three or 400 people. We, we give away coats. That's coming up next month. We have a coat giveaway. Uh, I'd like to let you know that if you have good condition, used coats or even new coats, uh, that you would like to drop off at our place. We give them away every Thanksgiving. Uh, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, we have a meal, and we give away coats, and usually uh, also scarves, hats, shoes if we have them, and those kinds of things. So all of that uh, for our Christmas show, same thing. We just invite the kids to come, and uh, we give them wrap presents. We always need uh, help with that. We need uh, volunteers that can help us with our mentoring programs and our uh, children that we work with. And uh, I just got to tell you the truth, this past year, all of that's been down. Our volunteers and those kinds of things have just been difficult lately for some reason. And so uh, let me finish this story for you. Uh, 
you have to excuse me. I had a senior moment there for a minute. So, But here's Bartimaeus sitting at the roadside begging. And all of a sudden, he starts to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those around him try to stop him, and they say, stop what you're doing. Uh, the one uh, translation says they severely censored and reproved him. And uh, others told him to shut up. You, you know, you're going to cause trouble. You're going to get them to come over here and stop the show because a lot of them were just looking for a show. And, uh, and yet he yelled all the more. Here's this timid guy. He's blind. He couldn't bust a grape, like I said. And yet he starts to scream all the more because he saw something he needed. He started to holler out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then here it is, the pivotal verse here. It says, Jesus, stop. And that, to me, is the most important verse in those seven. Jesus, stop for the likes of me. Jesus, stop for the likes of you. Jesus, stop for Bartimaeus. And when I think of that, I think of when I was courting my wife. She had two little ones that are now grown with their own kids. And uh, we just love that. But uh, they told me I had to watch The Lion King before we got married. So we did that three or four or five times. <laughs> And there's a part in there where the little cub is, you know, dancing around. I just can't wait to be king. And, and that's the way I felt. I'm going to get married. I'm going to be king. That's what the Bible says, right? Well, fellas, <laughs> didn't turn out quite that way. But the thing is, do you remember those hyenas? Every time they said the name of the king, Mufasa, they go, Mufasa! <laughs> Mufasa! <laughs> Every time they said the king's name, they would just lose it. And when I look at this and it says, Jesus, stop, I want to lose it. I just want to say, wow, Jesus stopped for me. Jesus stopped for you. And the verses go on. It says, Jesus stopped, and he said, call him. And they called Bartimaeus over, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. I'm tired of the old okey-doke. I'm tired of the old life. I'm tired of the addictions. I'm tired of emptiness. I want to see clearly. Jesus told him to go, that his faith had healed him. And what it says is he followed Jesus along the way. But there's one more point that you have to see here that is so important. It says, throwing his cloak aside. You see that? Throwing his cloak aside, he rose and came to Jesus. When you live in the street, you never, ever, ever lightly throw your cloak aside. You don't throw your covering aside. That might be the only thing, and just excuse my frankness, that might be the only thing that you have to wear in the elements outside. That might be the only thing you wear as a covering when you go in the supermarket to steal some meat. Yeah, that's the way it is. That might be the only thing you have as a covering, and you never, ever, ever lightly throw that aside unless you found something better. Bartimaeus found something better. 
So he was able to throw his cloak aside. Amen? Have you thrown your cloak aside today? Is that something that you've done, you made a decision to do? Amen. I want to ask you this morning, if we could, and if the guys want to come up and do a little music, I'd like you to ask you this morning if you've thrown that cloak aside, if you've decided to follow Jesus, if you've decided to become that new creature that Christ talks about. If that's you today and you want to throw that cloak aside, doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doesn't mean you're more sinful than me because nobody is. I'm going to ask you to make a bold step this morning because we got the time. I'm going to ask you just to come up front and I want to pray for you for all who come up front and just stand at this altar just for a few moments this morning. If you want to say, Jesus, I want to have a closer walk with you. There's some things in my life that I just need to throw aside. I need to get with you, Jesus. Ain't no shame in this. See, Jesus, I need you in my life. Hallelujah. Anybody at all who say, I need that Jesus more than ever today. Amen. Let me say it the second uh, way for you this morning. Maybe this will help you. If you're just looking for a closer walk with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and let me pray over you right where you're at this morning. If that's you this morning, I just want a closer walk. There's things in my life Father, I just pray right now, God, that you would surround us with your favor as a shield. I pray, God, that you would help us to follow hard after you, God. I pray, God, for those things in our lives, God, that would try to hinder us from getting to you, just as they hindered Bartimaeus or tried to, whether it's circumstances or people or things familiar to us, God, whatever it might be. I pray, God, that we would let those dissipate and that we would just follow hard after you, God. I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would show us that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives us strength. I pray, God, again, that you would just surround everybody here, surround their hearts with your love and your faithfulness today, God. I pray it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And if you agreed with that, would you say amen? Pastor.